0: So I think it, it comes down to station culture, right? This idea that a radio station or, or a TV station, right, is is based in a, in a single building, a single place, and everyone that works at that station, on air, off air, whatever, is sort of works in that building, right? There's offices, there's studios, there's sets, in, in the case in the case of television, and there's sort of a behind the scenes story going on that is referred to on the air, right? Um, I know, for example, when I used to listen to, uh, you know, a lot of the radio shows like Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony, they would often talk a lot about, you know, the other hosts on the channel or, or you know, when, when it was time to switch over to the next host, that host would come in like 10 minutes earlier and start chatting with, with the, the hosts that, are, that were on. And uh, then they would talk about the station management and all, you know, kind of like just talking about the culture at the station. And these were operations that were broadcasting live, right? Twenty-four hours a day, essentially. Right. I know TV stations used to go off the air at one point and put that test screen up, whatever. But in general, they're kind of like this 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 idea of a station, especially a TV station, because I, I think the same thing goes for radio station, right? A TV station that has this culture behind the scenes, so it's it's this story and a meta it's a meta story. Uh, one example of that, I think, was uh, SCTV, the comedy series, a sketch comedy series, but it was very much built around uh, a, a fictional TV station, right, uh, and uh, all of the people behind the scenes, and then the shows themselves. So that it was it was a great setup for for a, a comedy show, like a sketch show, where you could have behind-the-scenes stuff, and then you could have the shows themselves, and especially a lot of like fake commercials and fake trailers for fake shows, right? But again, with that idea of a station culture. And I think that uh, some of the early cable channels, like MTV, for example, they had these sets where the the five original VJs would just sort of exist on this set and uh, interview rock stars and sometimes walk around those sets. And I know that... um, in Canada, for example, much music uh their sets were very their their set was very minimal like it was a very small set, but it was um a huge part of the story of their broadcast like the 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 limitations of the set they were on so the space itself the shared space all the different hosts sort of sharing the same space became this huge thing. I remember I actually bought um Whatever happened to that? I bought the, an ebook of a book about Much Music because you know, being that I'm not I'm from New Jersey, not Canada, I never really watched Much Music. I know they had Much Music USA and whatever, but that early culture of Much Music is so fascinating, and um, they absolutely had that station culture, <coughs> not just a bunch of TV shows that were pre-produced being shown in sequence, but an actual like studio space, right? And uh, something I researched you know, within the past few years was the Comedy Channel, which was an early cable channel. Which was one company had the Comedy Channel, another company had Ha, their own Comedy Channel, and then they merged to become Comedy Central. But before that, the Comedy Channel had this uh, series of sets in in, in a stage area, sound stage area, whatever. I don't know if it's a sound stage, but you know what I mean. At the broadcast facility. They had all these different sets for all these different shows, like Rachel Sweet and that guy who was like a a private eye from the 40s kind of character and Higgins Boys and Gruber, right? Rich Hall's Onion World, right? But in their promos, they kind of showed you going from set to set and, again, sort of building up this image of this sort of shared world that we're sort of peering into. And it was on their shows, on the promos, on in-between stuff, this sort of shared world was, was referenced. Right, and uh, and I know that like I experienced something like that when I did my stint at WFMU over in Jersey City. I was I was a host on the on the station only in the year two thousand nine, and uh, I was not really embraced by the the, the people at the station. Uh, they I, I really was they were they considered themselves all weirdos and outsiders, but I guess I was too weird and too outside even for them. But they did have that—the the, the the space itself. Every there was there was the record library, there was the main studio, there was the secondary studio, um, there were the offices, and it was just like this whole. It was that kind of a vibe, you know, being in a place like that. And then even on a more independent media level, and the, if if you check out the early days of uh, the Overnightscape, there was a. So this was in 2003, I think, or 2003 or 2004, but before podcasting. Podcasting is barely begins in the summer, and then by October it started getting big. I jumped on in October. Uh, There was this online radio station, because before podcasting was big, a lot of people were doing Shoutcast, which was a, a live stream. Very different kind of technology, though, because um, the shoutcast technology, whether you were hosting it yourself or you were going through a, a paying for hosting, it was always the more people listening, the more money you have to pay the host, right? Each connection was another uh, – was, was taxing the server. And so, I mean, I always felt – I've done a number of experiments in that shoutcasting and live broadcasting and it never really seemed to work because our project here, the Overnight Escape Underground, is non-commercial. And the idea that this broadcast thing—the more people listening, the more it's going to cost—and then we have we'd have to become commercial. We'd have to sort of ask for money because, right? Who's going to pay for all the streaming costs? Whereas podcasting, where it's a static file and it's on demand, there—you know—I still have the web host where they. I mean, they gave me a bit of a hassle. I had to delete a bunch of files, or they deleted a bunch of files. Um, they still allow me to host tons and tons of files, and then everything's also on the Internet Archive, which is a free storage uh, medium. But it, I'm just just to say, it, it it's been a way to. Uh, it doesn't cost that much, whereas streaming, the more popular you get, the more you have to pay. So you have to have some sort of built-in mechanism for monetization, right? If you're going to go that route, but there was a an online channel, a comedy channel, where there were these shows, where there were shows kind of like, you know, in the vein of Howard Stern or Opie and Anthony, a bunch of hosts just talking about stuff, doing song parodies, taking phone calls, things like that. And these were a bunch of people out of Ford's, New Jersey, which was right next door to where, where I used to live, Island, New Jersey, right? For a few years I lived in Island. It's right, actually, Ford's is sort of right between the Menlo Park Mall and the Woodbridge Center Mall, Right. Places a uh, very important malls to me in my in my youth, and even today, I went over to both of them, what a few weeks ago, right? Yeah. Um, so these guys, you know, no holds bar, NHB Radio, uh, the flagship show, were, were these guys in Fords, and then they had a bunch of other shows all around the country, and they had this kind of station culture, but they were kind of. You know, they, they were more into sort of the shock jock, shock jock wannabe kind of thing, a lot of gross-out humor, offensive humor, things like that. But I actually was just about to start my own show on the channel. It was called uh, Violent Plaza. <laughs> was the name of the show. And I, my name was going to be Frank209. And even, there's even a show art I did for The Overnightscape that, that shows the original promotional graphic I made for that. And I think I was going to have my sister Julie on the show as well the very last minute, like the, like the week it was supposed to happen, they're like, oh, sorry, we we uh, pr- we already promised your time slot to someone else. And I think it was for the best. I mean, I don't think that would have been a good medium for me, but they had like that station culture that I'm talking about, right? Oh, yeah, there's that guy. Remember, I, I I did talk about this a few years ago. This guy Sloan had a show on there, and I found some of his audio a few years ago. Hello, this is Sloan. But everyone was putting on kind of shtick and trying to be these kind of, you know, like super offensive comics or whatever. Anyway, it was an interesting footnote to everything. I don't, I don't know if any of their stuff remains. They were very resistant to podcasting. They wanted to just keep doing streaming. And I remember I even emailed them as a, you know, I kind of knew them and I, just via email. I never, I never saw them, even though you know I could have gone down to Fords. I suppose if I had gotten involved, I probably would have. But anyway. um it's just an example of that kind of station culture concept. Another thing there was uh so earl- so this is the whole point of this. Ear- early internet, there were stations like that, mostly well, there were audio stations. I mean there was like E yada, which was a very you know it was a business, millions of dollar business, where they had this this radio station, and they had a station culture there. But they, they they were victims of the dot-com crash, and they crashed out. Um, and this, again, this is before podcasting. So, the stations, right? Also, before the rise of YouTube, there were video, essentially TV channels on the Internet. One of the very earliest ones was com, which uh, some remnants still remain. This was the guy... Get his name, but he, he was the subject of a, of a very interesting documentary called We Live in Public. So this guy started Pseudo, which was kind of like the first internet TV station, and he sold it out and he made millions, and then he was just a very strange guy, like he would, um, he was like the head of the company, but sometimes he would just come into the office dressed as this weird clown named Lovey, Lovey the Clown. And just all day long, he would be Lovey the clown, and I don't, it, I don't think anyone really understood the, what that was all about. He was just a weirdo, you know. Um, Hello there, I'm Lovey the clown. No, you're you're the CEO. No, I'm Lovey the clown. <laughs> something like that. Um, but pseudo, I think, had that of something of that station culture, and then something a bit different, but tangentially related. That same guy, I forget his name. Um, in we live in public, he created this incredible like weird underground complex in lower Manhattan and had like hundreds of cameras and had people living in there and it was just 24 hours a day you could watch these people so it wasn't quite like what I'm talking about it was something similar and then he he went nuts and quit and became an apple farmer in upstate New York or something I don't know what ever happened to the guy but and then there was another one called Mania TV which uh, was Probably one of the more purest examples of what I'm talking about, it was kind of to say, hearkening back to the early days of MTV, there was a set including like a full school bus in the the set and different video VJs or video jocks or whatever. I think they had a different name for them, but uh, Mania Jocks or something. But they would be there in the studio, different hosts, and uh, they would play music videos and then they would interview musicians and stuff. That lasted for a few years, and it was live, right? I remember remember that one thing that was sort of related—a a website called Soundbreak dot com, where it was a an internet essentially an internet radio station, but they had a video feed where you could watch the uh, the DJ live in video, and you could chat with them. And I just remember I used to chat in there, and there were like five or six people in a chat room, like. Well, if you're a multi-million dollar company and there's like six people listening, how how is that going to work? And that w- one of the hosts said, yeah, I'm not really sure, Frank, what's going on with that. That didn't last very long. Um, and then I think it started off in uh, <clears throat> um, on Mania TV, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Tom Green, who really started his fame in, on Canadian television and then moved to MTV... Had a, a thing called Tom Green's House Tonight, which was live on Mania TV, but he had this set built in his like in his living room, and he had all his comedian friends over and stuff, and it was kind of the same kind of vein. And uh, what happened was, right? So we in 2004, podcasting comes along, and this then is um, a far easier. Uh, method of of a broadcasting audio than having an, a live station, right? Because having a building where people are physically present and uh, uh, participating in this broadcast or, or this twenty four hour broadcast obviously is something that you need money. It needs to be a, a financial a a, a a business, right? You can't just do it for fun, or could you? I mean, so this is the question with podcasting the idea of someone having their own internet radio station in a place that's broadcasting 24 hours a day, that kind of went away uh, as as a concept, right? I don't even know if there's any real, like everything's shifted over to the podcasting and, and having a radio station, I'm sure there are still examples of it, but I don't think it's very prevalent anymore, but especially on the video side of things, the idea of, a, of an internet TV station with a set and with people hosts physically present at the set doing this 24-hour broadcast, that seemed to go away completely. Now, of course, there's something very similar. So many people have video shows. And I know that there's, like, for example, there's, um, <clears throat> I don't know if they call it compound media, like Anthony from Opie and Anthony actually went on, there's a whole sub- Sort of a subculture online of alt-right comedians, and it seemed to be something that, in another life, I might have been in, may have been interested in. But I had kind of really drifted away from left-right politics myself a long time ago. But Anthony, I think, has something kind of like that. He has like there's like a bunch of shows that are sort of interconnected, and then uh, Gavin McGinnis, the founder of the Proud Boys, obviously a very a controversial character. He has his own I don't know if it's called like censored TV or something, but it's sort of like uh, his own TV network of, of. but it's only for like these alt-right personalities. Uh, but in general, these kind of things, these shows have been sort of supplanted by individual shows that have YouTube channels, right? And if they're kicked off YouTube, there's other... What are the other ones? Like Rumble and... <laughs> bit something, I don't know, there's always these alternate video channels, but the idea of a TV station, essentially, has been kind of lost, and I've been really fascinated by that because I thought that the internet would be a perfect place for this kind of, uh, I think there's something missing. I think that the idea of a station culture is sort of, what's the right way of putting it? It's an incredible art form right to 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 produce work in the context of a station now i will say here on the overnight escape underground we have um a station culture absolutely but it it is certainly lacking any sort of physical base right but we are all in our own places but we do kind of we have that to to a degree right and and I that is an amazing thing. That really is the cornerstone of the Overnight Scape Underground that we have our little station culture here. But it's this one thing to have a series of shows and people in physically disparate places, sometimes getting together, like I went out to New Mexico and hung out with PQ uh, last year. But to have a physical place where everyone is sort of gathered together um, is just another level. It's, it's It creates this other kind of thing, especially for a TV station, right? The Orphanized give Underground is audio. It is a it's an audio channel, right? So it's a radio station, essentially. In fact, I call it a radio station inside a book, so it's actually I'm actually defining it as a, as a kind of radio station.
1: Right?
0: Now, one thing on our end here, one thing that I've been theorizing about and thinking about for a long time is uh, you know, this idea of being together in a physical place, while impractical from especially for a non-commercial project, could be achieved through the metaverse, right? So, this uh, this dream of a three-dimensional computer world, of which there are innumerable examples of, in video games and small virtual worlds like uh, you know, there's like VR Chat and Tower Unite, which I play and Right, small virtual worlds, but it's they're all little each little instance of a, of a separate world. The idea of the metaverse is that there's one big three dimensional universe that's contiguous that all these things can be in, and so you could have a building there with broadcast studios. You could sort of recreate everything I'm talking about um, in in the metaverse, right? So I've been thinking a lot about you know w- w- once there is a a viable metaverse to sort of have an overnight escape underground like building where we can sort of have studios where we have to be broadcasting from, right? And I still think that's something that is feasible, that could happen. But again, we get back to the same thing. You know, is it, you know, the expense involved with a live broadcast versus these pre-recorded on-demand shows? (coughs) But I, I mean, I do think that you don't necessarily have to have that 24-hour live feed in order to have that kind of culture, but um, and I'm definitely I'm interested in continuing the urbanist of underground as it as it has been in audio, etc. But this is all leading up to today's show title, uh, Video Loaf Origins, which. I came up with like last night as the title of this episode and it brought all these issues up because uh, if you look at the show art, it's kind of a psychedelic image. What I did was I was looking at some pictures I took on my Europe trip in 2019. I chose two images and I just superimposed them using the difference filter on uh, Photoshop. Right? So the two images are overlapped and the, you see the difference between the two images. One image is, is up by, on uh, Mount Vesuvius in Italy right, with that kind of railing by the side of the walkway and looking down in, into the valley there and uh, the other image is is um, these uh, these uh, sea cliffs uh, with these kind of caves in them on the island island of Zakynthos uh, in, in Greece so I superimposed the two images and I thought it looked great so I'm like, I'm going to use that for show art and then I had to try to figure out like a show title and then the typography and uh It took me a while and went through a bunch of different names but I looked back and there was that one title. I did a show called Video Loaf I think in 2018, something like that Um, and I think I talked about it just as kind of a frivol. You know, my my idea of stating an idea is the final product, right? Video Loaf as kind of a... uh, would it be kind of an internet TV channel, right? And I didn't listen back to what I said back then but uh, Video Loaf I think is a good name. It hasn't been used and it kind of... Gives you a sense. A video video loaf. It's kind of a funny word. Uh, loaf is a kind of it has a two several meanings. Loaf of bread, obviously meatloaf. Uh, sort of a sort of a rectangular piece of food, you know, a cubic piece of food, like a like a loaf of bread. It's kind of like an elongated cube, right? Like a, what? What's a word for that? Not a cube, but in, like I know we have square and rectangle. That we have cube, and is there a word that means, you know, this like a rectangular cube? I guess block you could use, but it's not really the same. I guess block is the closest word we have for that. But um, so video loaf, it's just hey, have a loaf of video, you know. And then um, of course loaf means loafing, like just lazing, being lazy. It's the opposite of work. Loafing around, you're a loafer. I was actually looking up the uh, etymologies of the two words, and they came from different directions. Loaf really was uh, derived. The word loaf is bread; it derived from really ancient words meaning bread. And then uh, loafer, the word loaf meaning to laze, derived from loafer, which was des- which was derived from some sort of like wanderer or walker or traveler, um, a different kind of. Direction, but loaf mean, has those two meanings. So, um, this essentially is a frivol. Uh, you know, it's just an idea. But I think video loaf would be something that I hinted at in a in a brief video project I did called a Sneaky Tiki, sorry, Sneaky TT Broadcasting System, which I did do in video. But I think those videos are lost but the audio still exists. I, 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 few times I tried to find the videos I was on... Remember there were those video streaming sites? Like, was it Jason TV or Justin TV or something? There's a couple different ones. Streamable. I forget what they were. But um, the accounts I had on there were lost, or they deleted everything, or I don't know what the hell happened. So those videos are gone, but I would have liked to have kept them, but I don't know what happened. But essentially... It was a short-lived experiment where I kind of put on this costume. I, I like, wrapped a a tie around my head like a headband and wore these weird glasses, and I became Sneaky Titi. And I would watch uh, those uh, FedFlicks, those uh, U.S. government training films that were in the public domain, right, and would comment on them. And it was, uh, you know, it was sort of in the vein of just sitting and commenting on a video kind of like mystery science theater 3000 whatever but using these videos and there there was something there uh but it was just not the right project for me but um it occurred to me i i I wanted to use the term video loaf and then i just thought of origins and it just sounded great video loaf origins wow see i was also thinking of uh I did an episode called Video Gray. This is where it all started. In in my title notes, I have something I was going to do, Video Gray 2. Because in in my time of film school, they used to have a... They had, like, videotapes, like VHS tapes of what they called Video Black. It was sort of generated by a video device. You could just... A whole VHS tape would just be Video Black. Or if you had the device that could generate Video Black, it was just a black screen with silence on video, right? because normally if you have no signal it's just a bunch of gray static that was video black and that's what they called it oh, oh let's get some video black right and uh, that's so video gray was kind of a play on that so i was thinking maybe video gray too that was in my notes and i'm like no how about video loaf video loaf origins so and i just think that phrase video loaf origins just sounds great um and as you can see, I really spent some time on the typography there. I kind of, uh, I really love the kind of, what I achieved with that font there. That font is uh, a Berthold font, Cosmos, uh, extra bold. But the, it's sort of been elongated and made italic, as you can see there. And then I sort of alternated kind of gray or yellow and kind of a green. I love the way it looks. I and mean, I put those magenta lines under it. You'll, you, if you'll see the show art, you see what I'm talking about. Um, <clears throat> but that brought to mind uh, so what could have been in the past a video channel called Video Loaf and it would be essentially combining the idea of the public domain videos of which we know now some music commercial music from the past has now entered the public domain this only happened in January 1st, 2022 all music up till 2022 became public domain. This was kind of unexpected. I didn't even know about this. It was a law they passed a few years earlier, the Music Modernization Act, where without that law, music would, commercial music, even the earliest music from the late 1800s would not have become public domain until 2067. It's too long to wait. I, I would be 99 years old as, it, as 2067 started. And uh, we know most people don't last till 99. So anyway, and then just a few like last week, you know, like a week or two ago on January 1st, 2023, all the music from 2023 became public domain. But through various for various reasons, there's a number of videos that are into public domain. Lots and lots of movies fell into the public domain because of the laws governing movies and all those government films. Uh, the there's this law that the federal government can't copyright their content so there's a huge back then let's say in the 2000s there's lots and lots of videos online now that are in the public domain right and I know like the aforementioned Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, the people that worked on that show which was started off like as a, on a local channel in Minnesota, and then eventually wound up on Comedy Central, the aforementioned Comedy Central. Um, they initially had to, they were using some public domain, but a lot of the movies that were not public domain, and they had, to get, they had to get permission to use it. The various teams of people that worked on Mystery Science Theater 3000 kind of split up. I think there was some bad blood there, and the Cinematic Titanic was one of them. I forget what the other one was called, but they would do a ton of stuff where they would riff on the public domain stuff themselves, because, you know, this, especially those government films, because it was permissible. It, the, you didn't have to get the permission to, to use the video. And that's what I was uh, kind of aiming for with my uh, sneaky TT broadcasting system, right? But now I think I can expand the idea of Video Loaf to sort of say it would be a uh, having like a TV station right with an actual place to go where it was a bunch of people on these these sets sets there would be sets built and there'd be people um essentially video hosts with guests and the whole context of it would be to sort of be watching these, First of all, public domain movies, like a lot of the old bad horror movies and things, that whole genre, and then the government films, and then kind of riffing on that. And it would be this kind of loafing, stoner kind of vibe, uh, sort of interspersed, you know, showing those old videos, commenting on them, and then sort of in the studio. So that's what video loaf would be, you know. And I love that idea. It's sort of like something that I could have created back 15, 20 years ago, right? Well, what's 20 years ago now? Two thousand. Wait. Yeah. Wait. It's 2023. Oh, wow. The 20th anniversary of the overnight game is coming up in a few weeks, in a few months. Wow. Really? That came up fast. Wait a minute. Yeah. I wasn't even thinking about that. Yeah. March 13th, 2023. It's like two months from now, almost exactly. Um, will be the twentieth anniversary of the overnight escape. Wow! I haven't. I didn't even think about that. That this came up fast. Wow! Hold on. I have to sort of process this. I wasn't even thinking. Of, I wasn't even thinking along these lines. Wow! <laughs> what am I going to do for the twentieth anniversary? I don't know. Uh. Honestly, this was not on my radar. I I was still thinking it was like ni- n- the 19th anniversary was coming up, but that was right, that was last year. Am I am I right about Yes, this is right. Wow. Anyway, that's a whole other topic. All right, I'll have to start thinking about that. What am I going to do for the 20th anniversary? Jeez. Well, ideally we would have some sort of uh gathering somewhere in the world but i don't i don't know if uh i don't know if there's enough lead time to kind of like make something like that happen like everyone gather somewhere uh uh yeah i think we should do something i don't know what though <laughs> it's too soon i don't know it's like it's just 2 months from now i don't ugh, i wasn't i know it's weird that i wasn't thinking about it but it just was not something i that was on my radar wow anyway uh back to the video loaf <laughs> idea i think it could i could i think it could be kind of a cool concept but um just as a frivol just as an idea and it is something that could be done in virtual reality but i don't know if v- the virtual reality thing would be quite as uh cool as like a, a physical space but anyway you get the idea of video loaf just there would be a set there would be a set that people would be uh, like you'd see the hosts on the set and then they'd be playing these we'd be playing these uh, public domain videos and commenting on them yeah and it would be kind of it's just that that concept has kind of been lost maybe there is something like this I don't know I know you can do like live broadcasts on I'm sure there's something similar to that on YouTube or whatever but Anyway, that's the concept of video loaf, but now I've run into the 20th anniversary of the Overnightscape. All right, let me uh, let me pause here, and, ugh, I need to uh, think about this. Wow. Hey, it's a bit later now. I'm on the OnSug uh, the uh, chat room here, uh, which is on Discord. You can always access this chat room by going to OnSug.com, and there's a link to it. On the sidebar there, I mentioned about how I just realized it's the 20th anniversary coming up in uh, two months, and uh, Nika Dreamscape is on the chat room, and I was saying, you know, what, what am we? What am I going to do? Should I do? Uh, I mean, obviously, a physical gathering would be the best, but I don't know if two months is enough time to plan something like that. Plus, we're all over the world, so where would we uh, meet up? I know. Uh, A week or two ago, someone mentioned uh, PQ's town, Truth or Consequences, would be a a great place to do it. I would love to. uh, I just don't know how feasible it is. But Nika suggested, uh, how about like a Zoom or something? Um, She's like, it would be amazing to do in person, but feeling that there's always Zoom or similar, you could put a call out to see if you could get people to send in clips talking about how they found you, started listening, that would be interesting. So yeah, that uh, is a uh, great idea, Nika. And um, I don't know, something like a uh, something came to mind. Actually, slightly related to the uh, video of, should we have like a Zoom kind of thing going on, but have it go on for like a, a marathon, like a twenty-four hour Zoom or something, just to try to get all the different people. Um, That uh, have you know have been involved in, in the Overnight Underground over the years, to come on and, and talk to us and uh, maybe send some something in at least an email or something, because we did uh, as I, as I remembered we did something like this back in um, 2014. PQ put together the reunion homecoming for the 11th anniversary of the Overnight escape, and we got over 20 contributors at the time. Uh, PQ put it out. He he didn't do any liner notes, but I did later do the liner notes, and uh, so that was nine years ago now. So everyone that participated, I have a list here: uh, PQ, myself, and uh, Neil from Ireland, Randy from California, the three Weasels, of course, me and Brian and and Peter, uh, by Coastal Becky, Smidge, Kurtlebaum, Shambles, Constant, Mark from England jimbo simon from nevada my brother john robin greg from the point stevenson show my wife denise jeff sink actually uh weighed in he 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 had uh he was no longer involved he was a big presence on the channel for a few years um carrie michelle right we haven't heard from her in a long time alex uh eddie from ireland chad um Bob Lament, Mike Booty, Manny the Mailman and Nate in Wisconsin all kind of like uh checking in on that one. So maybe we can do something like that. That's sort of what comes to mind. I I'll, I'll keep thinking about it uh, of of what to do for the uh 20th anniversary of the show. Wow, it's uh it's pretty overwhelming and the fact that I hadn't even been thinking about it. I don't cuz I don't know. Well, I think it sort of relates to like the, the sort of time warp of the pandemic, you know, um 2011 was the 18th anniversary sorry 2021 was the 18th anniversary then 2022 was the 19th and I wasn't even thinking along the lines of 2023 being the 20th but yeah anyway start thinking about it (laughs) and uh it's always great to like one of the most interesting things about the overnight give underground is that that we there have been so many people that we've gotten to know and whose audio is still in the archive and um who have moved on and are no longer involved, or maybe occasionally get involved, and uh, would love to. It's always great to hear from them, see what they're doing today. Um, yeah, so we'll check that out. Anyway, now on to other matters. As I mentioned um, recently, I bought this deck of cards, uh, El Dorado playing cards, from uh, the King's Wild project. They make these. Um, very cool decks of cards, and this new set is, uh, what is it called? L- l- let me see what this, this series is called. Uh, this is a Vintage Reimagined, and this is what they say about it. The Vintage Reimagined Playing Card Subscription, now I did subscribe, is a six-deck series that explores reimagining some of artist Jackson Robinson's favorite antique decks that were originally produced from 1880 to 1900. Jackson's intent with vintage reimagined series is to take the spirit and theme of each classic deck and reimagine it as if he was designing it in his own style back in the 1800s. The decks reimagined in this series have played a significant role in Jackson's inspiration and evolution as a playing card designer. Vintage reimagined delivery months January, March, May, July, September, and November. So I did subscribe and uh, I did not. I was not aware that uh, I would get one so soon, because uh, I had El Dorado, and that this I consider to be one of the best uh, decks for me to play. Uh, Flea Devil, my game, Flea Devil Solitaire. And if you want to play it, just it's real easy. the 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 rules have been released now. Just go to onsug.com, and uh, on the sidebar there, you see a picture of the book, and you click here. Uh, to download a PDF of the published book, including the digital extension here. Click that and you will get to a, um, the latest edition of the onsung book. And in this book, there is the rules to flea devil solitaire. And, um, I've been working on this for over 15 years and as you may know over the past few months I had a flurry of activity and came up with uh I believe the final rules for this game because I've been playing using these rules uh for a month or two now and the rules work they're great So let me see the best pl- like what page this is this may be on of the current one the way this pdf works the pdf is uh, 30 f- over 3400 pages but it's in the book set the, the main book section let me see hold on one second let me try to figure this out no no so that's not the one to click on the one to click on is the digital edition updated monthly that's the one to click on i'm sorry page not found what Oh boy, here we go. All right, let me fix this, and uh, yeah. All right, I I just had the wrong name on there. So yeah, now you can get that. I know I'm not making it easy, but this is the most updated version of the book. I'm loading it up now, just in a browser, and uh, loading. Yeah, this is this is uh really the next edi- the first phase of the next edition of the book. And we'll go down to a page, the end of the print book section and before the digital extension. Oh, come on. I I mean, I had a table of contents in the original one, but this one it's a little bit I didn't do the table of contents yet. That's not working. Let me uh let me grab it locally. Yes, it is on page 358 of the, the, the current updated version, Flea Devil Solitaire, and the rules are basically just on four pages, and this tells you how to play Flea Devil Solitaire, and uh, uh, I'm, you know, I've been playing constantly, and this game is amazing, and really this Flea Devil makes me want to get new decks of cards to um, play Flea Devil with, and uh, the Eldorado deck is fantastic, the design, the feel of it. It's a fantastic way to play Devil. In fact, I have a freshly shuffled deck here of uh, Eldorado. Let me see how this looks. It's just starting off. Got some tens. Uh, what have we got here? Some threes. And then the jacks, which, you know, since jacks are... Royalties, uh I got some eights that I was I got through a flea hop. The question is should I, you know, haul the jacks or should I uh just make them into royalties because royalties are the only thing that score. I'm gonna make the jacks I'm gonna just haul the jacks because um there's not a lot of matches. So yeah, anyway, I'll continue that game. Um so I got the first uh the first uh deck of my subscription, which looks similar to in some ways to eldorado. This one is called Atlantis and it still has the wrapping on it. Let me unwrap this and uh we'll see how this is uh see how this is uh, for flea devil. Some cool playing cards. But you can use any de- any deck of cards. The one uh little caveat is that y- you know, you want three jokers, right? I call them zonkers in this game and in flea devil. So most decks of cards come with um 52 cards. Plus two jokers and plus two more cards. They call like the junk cards. But interestingly, this series has a uh, has an additional card which which let me see if I can find it here. Yeah, which says Kings Wild Playing Cards and it says Extra Joker. This card may be used as an extra Joker. So this is especially this. Some decks have an additional card with the normal back and something on the face that allows it to be the third zonker. Some decks are a little harder. Some older decks, I found, don't don't even have. They just have the two jokers. They only have 54 cards. Most modern decks have 56 cards. Um, so that is a little... But otherwise, you can play with any deck of cards. Now, obviously, if you have two decks of cards, you can just take a joker out of one and put in the other one no matter what. But it's... As I've played it, it really... I think the game works with the 55-card deck... Uh, that is the way the game works. So anyway. Okay. So whereas El Dorado is green and gold, this is kind of like a blue and black. Atlantis. I'm trying to open this up here. And these are like limited editions, but let me see. I got the El Dorado from this site called the Rare Playing Cards. And it's not cheap. I think it was <laughs> I don't know if it's still available. Let me see if if that that one's still available. Yeah, El Dorado. Hmm. Pre-order only, limited to eight hundred decks. Maybe I, I think I bought it from Kings Wild. Do they still? Let me see if they still have it. Let's see. Hmm. Yeah, they're selling, yeah, 40 bucks for one deck of cards. So it's not cheap. It's an indulgence. But I know so many people collect these playing cards and never do anything with them. But I'm using it for Flea Devil. So I really get hands-on and I really do get so much use out of these cards. Anyway, let's open this one up. Try to like, you know, it's covered with cellophane. Or is it still known as cellophane or some sort of plastic wrap? But you know how they have that little, it's supposed to be like a little strip of plastic that helps you open it. This is not helping me. Oh, maybe. You know, if you just get a little foothold in, you can kind of start ripping off the... Yeah, there we go. I think I got it. All right. Uh, I I know you might think with cards like this, it might be better to keep them pristine and stuff, but I'm, I'm not interested in collecting playing cards. I'm interested in playing Flea Devil with cool cards. This really opens up a whole nother horizon because within the past decade or so, there are so many premium playing cards out there. So, there's so many. It's a huge collecting field, and it just sort of works well with this with our uh, Flea Devil world here. I may, I think I am still the only Flea Devil player in the world at the moment, which actually I get kind of a kick out of it because I honestly think Flea Devil is a game pretty much anyone could play and would enjoy as a whole new kind of solitaire. There's <laughs> a piece of plastic stuck... To my finger with uh, static. It's annoying me. Like it's not just it. It's a very special game, and I hopefully, you know, I'll try to get it out there this year. Though it's, ugh, why can't I can't get this opened. I'm trying to open the flap. I'm having a little bit of trouble here. I can't kind of get a foothold in the flap. Come on, open. Come on, I don't want to ruin it. You know what I mean? Like, I can't get the flap open. Oh, no, that's weird. I'm having trouble with this. Ah! I think I'm going to use a tool, sort of a non sharp aspect of this Swiss Army knife, to kind of like just slide in there to kind of gently slide up the flap, yeah, without damaging anything. There we go. Oh, thank goodness. The cards inside do not are not also are not also covered in cellophane. Let's check it out. So, this deck uh interesting. So the two jokers are one there's a moon and the one there's a moon with a woman sitting on it, but it's like a different woman than the other deck. Interesting. But it is fairly similar in some ways. I think the face cards and stuff are similar to the um, El Dorado deck. The backs, though, look at the back. Oh, it's beautiful! It's bl- it's blue and silver foil. Wow. And let me see what that the extra cards. Yeah, there's there's two extra cards. One just has like a king's wild, like old look, old style seal, and one has the same extra joker. And these cards. They have kind of like a, a, a gradient haze on them of, of a light yellow, so they look kind of weathered. Beautiful. Very, very similar to Eldorado, but this is going to be another great deck for Flea Devil, Atlantis. <laughs> I'll put those away for now. <laughs> Good stuff. Wow. I didn't know I'd get them so quick. I'm going to get five more this year. Wow. These are cool playing cards and a great way to play Flea Devil. And then they also gave me like an ex. They gave you like an extra card, like from a random deck. I don't even know what deck this is from. I got the three of hearts from some random deck. Cool. So it's going to be a, a lot of flea devil this year as well. Something else I got is uh, was rather an indulgence. This is a cool little artifact, though. It is a miniature pen. And it says Coca-Cola Black on it. Remember Coca-Cola Black? someone on eBay, I guess it was from an estate sale, and uh, they claimed they searched the internet and didn't find any other instances of this. But it's a, it's like a miniature pen, and you sort of rotate it, and you, and you know the little nib comes out, and you can use it. But it says a black pen with silver accents, and then in, the, in a silver ink, it says Coca-Cola Black. And I was a big fan of Coke Black. It didn't really last that long, but it was sort of a sort of a coffee flavored Coke that I was really into, and I reviewed on the show. Let me just look this up here. B L A K, right? <laughs> but they it's stylized like B L, so it's uppercase B, lowercase L, then an A with a line over it, which would mean it would be Coke Blake, which doesn't make any sense, and then an uppercase K. But I think it was pronounced black, and um, it was a coffee-flavored soft drink introduced by Coca-Cola in 2006 and discontinued in 2008. And it was really expensive, but I really I, I remember really liking it. And uh, let me see when I talked about it on the show. We'll we'll, we'll go to the book, right? I can just search this uh, PDF file for Coke Black, and hopefully it'll come up because all the show notes of everything that's over ten thousand episodes now, nearly eleven thousand episodes are in the um, in, in the book. So here from the Overnight Escape six hundred three, June twenty third, two thousand seven. I wrote that Coke Black is disappearing. Any other references to it here? I mentioned it also in two thousand eight. Overnightscape 696 on uh, April 8th, 2008. But where did I review it? Hmm. Talked about it on Overnightscape 785B Mama Wana from June 3rd, 2011. As, at that point, it's something that was uh, no longer available because I, I, it looks like I mentioned it in <laughs> discontinued candies. Dynamints, Wacky Packages, PB Max, Pine Brothers Cough Drops, Screaming Yellow Zonkers, Coke Black, Delphi roll remember delphi roll Oh and I had a uh, someone recreated Delphi roll Garrett's Broadway Strawberry Rolls. yeah Let me see if I can just look at it under Coca-Cola Black maybe because I, I know I reviewed it at one point Coca-Cola Black But I do I do love discontinued beverages just just in general as a concept and uh, So this is a great little pen It cost a pretty penny but uh, it wasn't that expensive So I'm going to use this now to do, like, show notes and stuff. Yeah, here I, here, well, well, that's from 2020 I mentioned it. I must have reviewed it at some point. Come on. Come on. We'll see. Maybe I didn't do an official review. Uh, Oh, I did mention the disappearance of Coca-Cola Black... Overnight Escape 614 August 14th 2007 The high and on 578 on February 5th 2007 I talked about the high cost of Coca-Cola Black that it was very expensive it was a very expensive drink on Overnight Escape 455 May 12th 2006 insane prices for Coca-Cola Black what was it like 10 dollars a bottle or something May 1st 2006 Overnightscape 446 I do mention it. And here's the beverage review Coca-Cola Black Overnightscape 435 April 14th 2006. Let's see if uh wow that was uh Yeah, that was uh was that still Yeah, that was still when I was doing the show daily. Wow. Let's listen let's go back and listen to my review of Coca-Cola Black, shall we? Yeah, man, check it out on 105 five. That is channel 105 on the archive and what did i say it was 435 episode 435 here we go all right fat let me fast forward to the actual review here very sad oh wow i'm talking the about getting getting rid of my jeep of the that called me this, the guy that bought it i'm not 100 percent sure but 99 percent sure that i talked to this guy already so hopefully it'll be a good transaction Yes, I sold anyway, my car on eBay. Trip, very appropriately, I got Coca-Cola Black, carbonated fusion beverage. Now let me describe this to you. This looks like a small, like almost like a miniature Coca-Cola bottle. That 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 wavy shape of the like the original Coke bottle. Uh it is covered in a, a, a four color printed coating, like a plastic coating, which is uh, black and brown, and uh, there's 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 a, a like a light beige stripe on it. And the Coca-Cola is a regular logo, and then black. With kind of a wave over it. So is it supposed to be like Blake? Like like a long A sound, Blake? Coca-Cola Blake. But uh, they have a logo which looks a little bit like a coffee bean because this is supposed to be a. They say I've, I've, what I've heard is supposed to be a coffee-flavored Coke. And uh, on the news uh, yesterday, I saw uh, them talk about Coca-Cola Black. How it uh, it's good? They said it's coming out on Tuesday, but of course, Seven Eleven has it uh, sooner. And they said that it's coffee-flavored. So this little logo, it looks almost like a coffee bean with, with that Coca-Cola wave in the middle. Something like that. And uh, let's see. So in, And it just says on the bottom, carbonated fusion beverage. And let's see what else it says on here. Um, coke.com, of course. Not, not much else. Very beautiful packaging. Very nice. It is 8 fluid ounces or 237 milliliters. So it's kind of small. Kind of a small bottle. And it contains water, high fructose corn syrup caramel and, and by the way, I was looking the other day you, you can still buy Coke black. People are selling it. look here's a four pack for 20 bucks on eBay. People are selling Coke black there were t- There were several different editions, some of which had plastic lids, some of which had uh bottle caps, I guess for different markets. Someone's selling a wow, one of those European ones for one thirty nine someone selling one bottle for 60 who knows how much this stuff is worth here's ten dollars for for a, a bottle of coke black i didn't save it i didn't save a bottle wow ten dollars yeah you so you, you can get a, a bottle of coke black here's one from the czech republic for five dollars another four pack for 35 wow let's continue with my review here color natural flavors coffee aspect there you go there's the coffee aspect Phosphoric acid, potassium sorbate, and potassium benzoate to protect taste. So at this point, I just had the third anniversary of the show. (laughs) Right around this time. Caffeine, aspartame, and asosulfame potassium. Here we go. Uh, My first time ever. See, this is cool. It's very cool that my final trip on the... What may be my final drive in my Jeep, I got Coca-Cola Black. Here we go. Opening it up now. has the, uh, the black lid. Now, the last time I had a coffee beverage, it was uh, Pepsi Kona. A coffee oh, yeah, that was beverage it was Pepsi Kona many I, years ago. I got it in a test, test market. I, I had some bottles of that, but I sold it on eBay. And then I I got a, I had a Pepsi Kona shirt. Uh, yeah, we were down in the South Jersey, Philadelphia area, as I'm about to say. And, uh, yeah, we got some of that. It tasted horrible. And um, it was not very good at all. And uh, I I wound up keeping a few bottles and selling them on eBay a few years later. So I'm talking about eBay. I sold my bottles of Pepsi Kona. And, of course, I have my Pepsi Kona T-shirt, which is one of my prized possessions, just like my Jeep. Do I still have that? Uh, I I don't know if I still have that. It's interesting. They took the the black plastic cap off, and that that little safety seal thing is still around there. Here we go. Let me smell. Hmm. Smells, like, very sweet. Almost like caramel. Here we go. Trying it out here. Hmm. That is actually not too bad. I, should, I, I don't have like a cup to actually see like the actual consistency of it. Here's an ad I found from back in the day. Coca-Cola Black. What is black? Welcome, black. Inspire your mood. Refresh. Inspire your mind. Refresh your mood. Introducing Coca-Cola Black, a carbonated beverage that fuses Coke effervescence with coffee essence. Every sip is an experience to enliven your senses and welcome new possibilities. So find your muse. Find higher ground. Find your black. Spread the word. <laughs> what is this? Nitrolicious.com? Oh, was a, a post all about Coke Black. Let's see. Continuing here. But it looks, uh... I don't know. It tastes pretty good, though. Let me try some more. Man, I like that. It has a this has a good taste. it's it's a light carbonation. And when you drink it it has a very a very broad, sweet vanilla coffee flavor. It, it it tastes like a flavored coffee almost. And I quite like it. I quite like it. Oh look at the graphics, I didn't see this. Part of the graphics is kinda of pixelated, like like on a computer screen, but part of it isn't, so that's part of the effect. That's kinda of cool. Let's try some more here. I don't see that in these pictures I'm looking at. Oh, I kinda of s okay, I see it. And the bo- the bottom is glass. Uh oh, so it's yeah, it looks it looks kinda of like Coca-Cola, It's just like a brownish liquid. I finish it up. It's like $1.89, I think, per per bottle at uh 7 Eleven. There it is. Coca-Cola black. Not bad at all. I kinda of like that. Kind of, a, kind of a nice uh, thirst quenching treat and i would hope that it has a lot of caffeine in it i would imagine wow great packaging great taste there you go coca-cola black very cool it's very futuristic that i have coca-cola black on my desk here and i have two more bottles to enjoy yes indeed the carbonated fusion beverage so there you go so anyway uh yeah, I'm here in the middle of uh, the move, the uh, the condo. We're working on the condo, painting, and... Uh... Anyway, I guess that's the end of the review. That's when I was moving from the apartment over to the condo. Yeah, 2006. And then in uh, 2019, I moved from the condo here to the house. So this is the third overnight escape studio. Anyway, Coke Black may no longer be around, but I have the Coke Black pen a very cool miniature pen, so yeah, right after the uh last episode when I was in New York City, I did go to Midtown Comics, and they had a new uh, previews and game trade magazine. That's pretty much all I buy at the comic shops anymore. Previews is this uh, large publication that lists all of the comic books and all the products that are coming out, like two months hence. And I do really enjoy reading that one. And Game Trade does, does sort of the same thing for uh, games, like board games and card games and stuff. Then I walked down 40th Street and I was passing Muji, the Japanese uh, store that sells all sorts of things. And um, I figured I'd try there again because I used to get these pads there, these, uh, you, know, you know, just to jot things down. Uh, they're kind of like newsprint pads. And I went in there a few weeks ago. And I, was, I couldn't find them, so I asked one of the employees. I'm like, hey, I'm looking for this. I used to have these pads, and it was like newsprint. They're like, yeah, you know, um, a lot of stuff's been discontinued. So, yeah, if you can't find it, we probably don't have it. I'm like, okay, thank you. Uh, so, anyway, I went there again just thinking that, listen, I really want these pads, and my wife wanted some too. We used to have a ton of these. They're real cheap. And uh, I was looking around, and I found it. it but it was in a, this this vague little area, like this little hidden area, like the lower shelf of uh, a little display. Yeah, and this is uh, it's called just called Notepad, and it's what is it? Let me turn the light on. I can't see. Raining outside. It is a one hundred and forty by a hundred millimeters, not and two hundred sheets. Yeah. So I got, so I, I bought four of these because I do like them. And uh, another thing um, that I, I bought there years ago at that same location was a towel kit. And uh, I've been wanting, I think our towel kit, like it ripped or something and we got rid of it, but I've also wanted another towel kit. So towel kit basically is half towel, half blanket it's a very unique product to Japan because uh, they're very hot summers but a lot of people don't have air conditioning so they have to sleep in the extreme heat which is very very aggravating trying to sleep in the heat I, I like to just jack up my air conditioning when it's hot out and uh, you know no, I like sleeping when it's very cold but if you have to sleep and it's super hot this uh, half towel half blanket right it, it sort of wicks the sweat off you as you're sweating in your sleep and it's for a much more pleasant uh sleeping experience. But I just I found it was a great blanket. Like if you're watching T V and you need a blanket, just use the towel kit. And um little did I know that it was sort of this it was only available, I guess, uh briefly at Muji and I haven't seen it since. So I went to the cashier and I'm like, hey, you know, do you have those towel kits like um those towel blankets. I remember buying one here a number of years ago. And she was like, um, well, a lot of things have been discontinued, so if you can't find it. They're giving the same line. All the employees, they don't, they, I don't even know if they know where anything is. Oh, well, we discontinued a lot of stuff, so if you can't find it. Jay, real helpful. The same line is with the pad, and they had the pad. Um, but doing some research. You know, it it is a very Japanese product, and, and uh, I was only able to find a few for sale. They didn't really look the same, and they're like $150 for a blanket, you know. And it's, it's just kind of annoying, but I would like to get another towel kit at some point. It's just spelled T-O-W-E-L-K-E-T. There must be a Japanese word for it. If I can find that in Japanese writing, I'd probably search and find something. What was that site I went to that one time? Remember, like— The T-shirt I wanted was uh, of the, uh, and I still have it, the one of the beginning of Blade Runner, right, with the logo of the Lad Company, the blue and green with the tree. uh, The Lad Company and Sir Run Run Shaw present. And I found a Japanese company that made that T-shirt. But you generally can't order things from Japan um, to to buy internationally. A lot of the places, they don't sell internationally. They only ship to Japan. So there was a website called White Rabbit where you can they'll like you can send them what you want to buy and then they'll buy it, it'll be shipped to them, and then they'll ship it to you. That's a way to buy things in Japan. So that's how I bought that t shirt, which I still have. So maybe I can get like a really good towel kit using that method, but this sounds very expensive though, and it's kind of not necessary. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah. At least I have my notepads. <laughs> and I can use my Coca-Cola black pen to write on them. It'll be a whole new world of jotting down notes.
2: Yes. Uh,
0: so anyway, this, this week on Overnightscape Central was kind of a special situation. Um, PQ uh, released the episode with, uh, where I played all the 1923 music. And he set the topic for the next two episodes to be the Beatles. And he uh and so the beat. so I basically heard it and then he was gonna do it that day. So there were like two episodes right in a row. So uh, yesterday I I recorded uh my my first segment about the Beatles. Listen, I could talk about the Beatles for I have so much to say about the Beatles. I'll have no problem doing two. Um you know two segments on that I could just probably I could do a lot more than that probably but uh, uh, check that out and if you have something to say about the Beatles please do um, join in on the Central we really want to hear from you and it's just a great topic Um, if anything the Beatles is one of the most multifaceted topics out there there's so many different ways you can approach it so many different angles so much stuff going on of course I I enjoy all aspects but I do enjoy the conspiracy side you know Paul is dead and the other conspiracies about their music, which, of course, I talked about extensively. And uh, definitely join in. Um, he was hinting that it may even do three weeks on the Beatles. So if you have anything to say about the Beatles, please record something and send it to PQ. Uh, his email address is kpqr.torc at gmail.com. And uh, we'd love to hear from you on The Central about the Beatles. In other news, I uh, there, there was this, there's a show on the Overnight Escape Underground called Combat Zone, and this is my brother John going up to he visits his friend Mark up in Boston, and uh, he's he records, uh, you know he sort of records interviews with this guy, real interesting guy, he's a guy that has no modern technology. The most he has is a radio. He doesn't even have a television. He has no computers, no phones, nothing like that. And uh, it's, it is a real interesting guy. So the series started a couple years ago, but there was a bit of confusion. Like his name was on, his full name was on the, um, the show notes and stuff, and there were pictures, and uh, there was some confusion. He wanted to be more anonymous. So I took all those episodes down, and then we re-released all the same audio, and I bleeped out his name a few times in, in that original audio. And we called it Combat Zone. And then everything was sort of, you know, uh, he was sort of cool with it at that point. And uh, so my brother kept recording it. Now it's called Combat Zone Revisited. Anyway, a few months ago in early September, my brother uh, re- recorded more with Mark. But he thought he just recorded an hour But then he didn't realize his recorder on his phone kept going for 40 hours, right? Producing this huge file that was like several gigabytes in size. And um, he said he could not get it off his phone. It was sort of stuck on the phone. He could still play it on his phone, but he couldn't transfer it in any way. So I I was telling him all these different ways to do it. I mean, can you use Google Drive? Can you use FTP? He said nothing worked. I'm like, there's got to be a way. So finally he came over for uh, Christmas Eve at my house, and I'm like, let me try this out. So I had, got a ha- I had got his phone. It was something called like Easy Recorder or something, and the file was in there, but it was not in the file system. That is, if you were browsing files, and I FTP'd into his phone using a, an FTP uh, server, could not find it in there. And um, if you tried to – you, there was a mechanism to upload it to – Google Drive but apparently it just wasn't working. So it is it was very difficult to get the file off. What I found up doing is one of the options it had in the Easy Recorder program because I guess it sort of it it I guess some apps can hide their files away from the file system. It said it can use near field technology NFT, not like the other NFTs, but this is near field technology. So I put my phone next to his phone, and I was able to transfer it over to my phone. It, took, it only took about 20 minutes to transfer. I just put the two phones next to each other, and it transferred the file. And then that was in my file system, and I um, was able to upload that to Google Drive, my Google Drive, and then I was able to download it to my computer from Google Drive. I think that's how I did it. Yeah, or I may have just plugged my phone into my computer. Anyway, I got the file. It was very unwieldy as 40 hours, so I I used my MP3 splitter to split it up into one-hour segments, and uh, I was able to uh, get the first episode out uh, just the other day. So Combat Zone revisited the file part one, but my brother said there's a lot there's a lot of additional uh, conversations that they may not have even been aware that were being recorded. So. I'm going to go through it I mean obviously there's a lot to go through and then I'm going to sort of double check with my brother that it's okay because obviously they weren't they weren't aware they were being recorded but he felt that a lot of that stuff could be cool to release so I'm going to this is sort of an ongoing project the co- combat zone revisited the file so uh, yes it's a lot more to work on but it's. Gonna, I think it'll be worth it I think we'll find some cool some cool audio in there but that was kind of I was so happy I was able I, I understood why he couldn't get it off I mean it was just like I don't know why it was like masked from the file system, but I know some apps do that. Yeah. Next up, I have a toy review. This is the Flying Spinner Intelligent Aircraft, and um, this is a—it's uh, a like a flying ball. And uh, so what happened was, I guess one of my nephews requested this for Christmas. So my wife ordered it, but it was on this weird Facebook page. And uh, I guess, I forget who we were talking to. Someone else knew about this Facebook page. And they're like, you will get it eventually, but it'll take like two or three months to get it. And so she had to order it from like Amazon to get it faster. So just the other day, we got it. And... um, Let's see what the box says here. It says, flying spinner, super endurance, safety, gift-giving. Flying spinner, throw it out and fly back. It's automatic for ages six up. Easy to to learn intelligent aircraft. Colorful LED with the ball design of the aircraft is like a neon meteor. (laughs) Great copy. Cool light effect, flight maneuver, USB charging, and fall resistant, various colors, made in China. So <laughs> the f- instruction manual says it's called Flynova Pro. There's all these different names for this product. So the instruction here says Flynova Pro flying spinner with a magic controller. Hmm. All right. So, I didn't really know what I was getting into when I started playing with this thing. There's a little USB cord here to charge it. It, it came charged up, though. We got it in the, a lovely metallic blue color. So, it's, it's a ball. It's like a, a plastic mesh. And then inside, <laughs> there's a propeller and then a motor and uh, LEDs in, like, this strip. So, if you turn it on... It just sort of, like, it, it, like, you throw it up, and then it, whoa, my God, this thing is out of control, and when I first opened it, I felt so bad, I, I had it at the wrong angle, I let it go, and it flew across the room right towards my, 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 my cat, Mr. Vegas, and he got freaked out and ran into the basement, all right, here we go, how does this thing work, damn it, I'll try to turn it on again, there's a little tiny button you have to turn it on with. But you're supposed to be able to like throw it and it comes back. It's it's kind of like technology for something like this has been, you know, like, like let me let me let me try to throw it and it'll come back like a like a boomerang, sort of. No, it's flying across the floor. But it's really really bright LEDs. You know, it's a strip, but but as it's spinning, it looks really. I think you gotta like shake it. This thing is very unpredictable. Oh come on, I think I think it's in the wrong mode. Right. But come on. Or maybe it's out of power. Yeah, I may have to charge it up. Kitty. Uh oh he's I didn't realize he was here. Kitty, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to scare you. He's traumatized by the flying ball. Kitty, it's okay. Kitty, it's okay. Here, look at it. Kitty, it's okay. Oh, he's scared of it. I I thought he was upstairs. Kitty, I'm sorry. Sorry, kitty. Anyway, I got to charge this thing up, but it flies around, I guess. But now my cats are scared of it. So, anyway, the flying ball. <laughs> they give they give you a USB cord that's about like three inches long. Anyway, great toy. Yeah, I got to charge it. It just flies around. Great, great success in the in Toyland. It's later on something else that comes to mind about this uh you know the internet t v stations is uh, the idea I came up with in my uh failed science fiction novel severe repair uh called hull t v this was a uh an idea sort of uh you know nineteen nineties early internet t v project is fictional in fiction um where they were producing um, at a location um, a kind of a, a daily sort of science fiction fantasy tinged um, like a soap opera kind of thing it was it was a, it was a daily narrative uh, it took place in the real world, but it involved you know supernatural forces things like that and so the idea was the show came out. Uh, every day and then there was a ton of behind the scenes content so they were constantly filming the making of uh, the soap opera right and then they would also like follow people back home that were working there and they would give you a tour of their house and you'd get to know the people all the people that worked on the production every single person in the company and that was sort of like this um, that was the idea of it so something sort of similar and because uh, it, it does seem that the formality of some presentations, uh, you know, like a TV show or something, all the behind-the-scenes stuff presents such a an additional uh, entertainment value, right? And I think this is something that in the world of K-pop, they have absolutely... Uh, capitalized on so the idea of k pop there are these music groups pop music groups, but the content is everything behind the scenes um, <coughs> the members of the groups going on trips, going to convenience stores, et cetera et cetera and so in a way, mixing all this stuff makes does make sense. I know that there was this uh, TV show I actually finished watching, uh, It's Like You Know, uh, the um, the sitcom from 1999 that is now completely forgotten, completely obscure. I think it's an amazing show, and I'm, I'm going to probably watch it again. It's on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. There's one episode that's not on YouTube, though, and I found it on another video site, like Vimeo or something. Um, but, you know, watching this show now, it's like, I thought it was really good, and you read some of the reviews, and people are like, "This is horrible! It's terrible!" But it turns out that was around the time when um, reality shows and game shows, which are much cheaper to produce than a scripted comedy series, started to uh, gain super popularity. So around that time, apparently, it was um, some "Who Wants to Be a Millionaire?" Maybe was the big show. But as you know, a lot of TV content moved from being like scripted, hiring actors, finding locations, filming these stories. Right? Uh, reality shows, where you just find some people that are somewhat interesting and interesting, and just follow them around, turns out to be just as compelling to a viewer than a scripted show. Uh, game shows, which I think have sort of had their come and gone and stuff, but. Yeah, they sort of blame that for the downfall of It's Like You Know, but that's a great show. But it was the reality shows that sort of took over. But I wonder if still, right, uh, like streaming TV shows might sometimes have a little making-of featurette. Uh, I know when I was watching the new uh, Game of Thrones, uh, House of the Dragon, they had... uh, at the end of each episode they had, after the credits, they had a like a short making-of thing. But it wasn't really to the point that, like... It does seem that if you're making something like Game of Thrones, you could really do a lot more with the behind-the-scenes stuff. Uh, you know, the people that are involved in the production to create more entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's uh... But like I said, in K-pop, they seem to be, realize this and they take advantage of it. That is, you have a group of stars, celebrities, who are, you know, sort of spend 90-some-odd percent of the day not doing, not filming, like, stuff, you know, just living and stuff. And so that can provide a great amount of entertainment as well. And I always remember uh, Howard Stern, the radio guy, You know, one said that you know his the secret of his show, you know, was um, getting into the the behind-the-scenes stuff and talking about it. Right? He talked about listening to a news radio where he heard some stuff going on in the background, and obviously the people were so scared of mentioning it on the air. But he said that'd be interesting. What just happened in this in the news studio? Can you break the fourth wall and just sort of come out and talk about what's going on? yeah it just it just sort of feels like with all of this it feels like there's some kind of a something related to in, an internet TV station, not just like YouTube channels or whatever that and right there's just something there there's something there that has sort of been lost in all this new technology and everything yeah, I'm still trying to figure it out anyway back out on the porch here a cigar. Yes, my dry January is over. I'm having cigars again. I was going to have no alcohol and no cigars for all of January, but that didn't last too long, did it? Hee <laughs> But another interpretation of Video Loaf that I uh, thought about the Video Loaf is... All of us sitting around watching the streaming TV shows, loafing around watching what's on Netflix, Amazon Prime, and all the other channels, and how it kind of, it feels like the dream of, that I had in the early days of the internet, that this uh, entertainment, right, what we when we want to relax, when we want to experience the art created by other people, we didn't have many options in the past. You know, you, had, you went to a movie, you watched TV, right? You read a book, you know, read magazines, back before the Internet, right? And the idea was that, um, and uh, so with the Internet, right, the assumption was that There's all these talented people out there that are creating things, but there's no way to get it to the people, right? Say you want to be a movie maker. You need to then get involved in... You need a distribution company. You need a movie company. You need marketing companies. So ultimately, there's these gatekeepers that controlled what kind of entertainment we saw, right? Even back before cable, the, the few networks that were on and local channels... Was even more of a gatekeeper. I mean, I remember back in the seventies, everyone was watching the same shows. We basically had the three networks and uh, PBS, and then uh, you know whatever local channels were on. So people were watching a lot of the same stuff, and all forms of media had this gatekeeping aspect to it, in that the way you got stuff right over an over-the-air transmission or cable for television. Radio and audio over the air radio or reproduced uh, on recording mediums, uh, LPs, eight tracks, you know, ca- uh, cassette tapes, etc. The cost of creating and distrib- distributing these things also involved big companies. And so there was this sense that whoever was in control of these companies was sort of deciding what the people would see, right? Deciding. You know, and, and the power associated with that of, of, of sort of what type of material are people being exposed to. So powerful. And so as the Internet came along, we found that anyone can create their stuff. In some cases, like writing, you know, one person can write a book. And instead of having to go to a publisher, go straight to the people in terms of... Uh, Music, producing music, and going straight to the people in all forms of art. You can now bypass the gatekeepers and go straight to the people. And um, what happened? (laughs) Because that was a few years ago now, and now we're still watching the TV shows on streaming instead of over broadcast or on cable, but we're still watching the TV shows created by the same big companies. And I swear, every time I've gotten together with people... Everyone's, oh, what what, what have you been watching on streaming? That's a big topic of conversation. As if this whole revolution didn't happen, right? What is behind this? Why aren't we... uh, Why isn't there just independent entertainment being produced? And the idea is that there would be, right, ways of of curating it, like group... uh, channel, you know, websites where people would uh, watch or read or listen to these things and sort of rate them and the cream would rise to the top. So if you were a talented, independent creator, you could get your work straight to the people and, and because there weren't so many people involved, you could charge just a little bit of money in some way and make a living at it, right? So what happened? What actually happened? The big companies are still in control and I know there are some independent there's some podcasts and there's some YouTube channels. There are some independent people who have been able to make a living at it. But I'm just talking about the dream of, without these gatekeepers, what happens. So, what is the answer? I think a major aspect of this is that uh, there's not... That's the right way of saying this. It's so, it, There's not that many people creating really good work this is a theory that there's only so many people that are at a certain level that are creating really good music or writing really good books it's not like there's all these people creating great stuff that are being stifled by the system it's that they're really. it's really very, fairly rare to have these kind of talents and those that have the talent really do find and form a relationship with these corporations to release their work but there's not like a huge excess of talent or ability out there um, I remember talking about like sports leagues and stuff uh, I think I was talking to my coworkers about baseball back in the 90s and I'm like why are there so, so few teams why don't they just make so many more teams and they're like at the major league baseball level right they're really Is not enough talent to go around. The number of teams they have, whatever it is, 30 or 35, whatever the number is, um, if they doubled that, you'd really water down the talent on the teams. Like the teams would not be as good as they are now because there's not enough talent to go around at that level, right? So could you say that in terms of all these forms of media, there really is not... uh, sad to say, I would have thought there were tons more talented people that are just sort of not able to get into the system to get their work released. But maybe, you know, there really aren't that many talented people and most of them are scooped up by the corporations. Now, I can say I have a fair amount of experience with a particular type of this uh, independent media in terms of music because, um, as you know for the channel here and for the other side of the Overnightscape. I have scoured tens of thousands of songs released under Creative Commons license. And I think Creative Commons used to be more popular than it is now. But there's still a lot of Creative Commons music. And I have just... I found you have to listen to dozens and dozens and dozens of songs before you find one that's even halfway decent. It's that sort of... uh, curation function and that the big corporations do, you know, they will only accept someone to distribute their music if that person's really good. So they're doing the curation. But what about this dream of online curation systems? And it's just, it doesn't seem like any amount of voting systems or reviews or anything to me has not really, uh, Help me in terms of finding music. I even go to places that have done their own search, but their taste in music is very different. So, the huge amount of effort wading through this stuff, right? And I have to think there must be there there are, like, some of these uh, online services that seem to have these amazing algorithms to find stuff that you'll like. But I don't know if they're really applying it to sort of like independent media, right? And, uh, you know, I, I can't help but whenever I think about this particular thing, filmmaking, right? I was uh, a teenage uh, filmmaker with my Super 8 millimeter camera, and when it was such a different process, you know. You had this relatively expensive three-minute cartridge of film, and especially doing animation, it could take huge amounts of time. Then you send it off to be processed, and you get it back, and you watch it. Oh, my God, what a process that was. Now... Everyone literally has a movie camera with a sound movie camera in their pocket and they could make movies to their heart's content. Are people doing it? To the extent that I was doing my little movies that had no chance of being distributed or anything, I could just show them to my friends at home. Right? Now people have this incredible tool that I could only have dreamt of when when I was a teenager. And yet... What are people doing? Yes, people are making movies. They're putting them on YouTube. But it doesn't seem like the thing that we were sort of expecting was that it would be kind of the, the end of the mainstream media. And it's been... No, it, it only it has been... Uh, that The opposite has happened. If anything, the mainstream media seems to have been gotten stronger in some ways. And I think part of it is that since we all grew up all the media we consumed was corporate media that, that that is what we look for in our media because we're so used to it, right? And the implied curation and quality filter that comes from big corporations is, is part of right the reason why we like what we like because we feel both that it's been wow, if these if people are willing to invest millions of dollars in this, it must be somewhat good, right? And also the idea that so many other people are watching the same thing and you're part of a group, a tribe of viewers. Even if you don't know those people, you know that you're part of a group of people that are watching a certain TV show or something. It's all very subtle, but it's just become a big video loaf. <laughs> Everyone's just... Watching the streaming shows and, uh, you know, a lot of times, a lot of these shows, they're somewhat fun to watch, but it's you get this very empty feeling afterwards. It's like, is that really necessary? Does this really, you know? So that also brings up another issue, which is that, is TV, like, is TV really necessary? It's just something to do when you have nothing to do just to engage you, you know, and and that... 1970s television i watched so much tv as a kid you go back and watch some of these shows they're really poor quality they're stupid they're poorly written but we just watched it because there was nothing else on you know so and if we're not looking if we're not really looking for quality art we're just looking for something to pass the time i guess it's just what's the easiest right you're going to go on YouTube and search out independent video producers or are you just going to go on to Netflix and see what's on, right? I don't know. I don't think there's just one answer to this question, but I do think that the cards are stacked against independent creators because, what we, again, I want to just reiterate what we think of as entertainment. The corporate entertainment produced by big corporations, has so many aspects that, again, our view of entertainment includes all those corporate aspects, that it is millions of dollars invested, that it is other people watching, that it is the curation and the decisions uh, of of these corporations that have sort of uh, oriented us and changed us in terms of how we think, how we view the world, beyond ha- even how we view our own entertainment. I remember going to uh, the New York Comic Con a few years ago and going in Artist Alley, the Independent Alley, all the independent comic creators, and I was struck by just how derivative all of their work was. It was just seemed to be copies of things created by corporate media. In terms of the stories, the types of characters. There didn't seem to be anything new under the sun. And again, all those people grew up and their entire worldview was formed by consuming this this corporate media. And uh, so then it comes time for them to create something new. It's going to be completely tinged with and um, defined by their understanding of entertainment which is which is all of the corporate entertainment that they've been sort of feeding us. So it's kind of like uh that dream of independent creators bypassing it. You can't bypass something that you're soaking in. It's all around us. It's it's in us. It is us. Right? We have been completely transformed by the seemingly innocent cartoons, pop music, etc. And I'm not trying to. I'm not saying there's anything sinister about this. I'm just trying to understand the phenomenon because I can say that I love all forms of media, and I'm completely interest. I'm always researching new stuff, old stuff, getting into it. I understand it's a type of system that was made by other kinds of forces, like, you know, like the big corporations and stuff. Whether they're just doing it to make money or there's a deeper, I suspect, um, element of societal control built into those, the content of those, uh, those types of media. Um, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not saying it's bad because I do find it very engaging and interesting. But the thought that there was this easy alternative... I think sort of turned out to be completely wrong. It was a it was intuitive but it was not true, right? We're too each of us is too defined by that entertainment. We're, we're more affected by the entertainment we've consumed over the years than, than we might think we are. That's what I'm trying to say. However, once again, I I, I have to re- re- refer to this, the Overnightscape Underground, where we have, in fact, created an alternative to corporate media. <laughs> Obviously, uh, you know, we're, we're on the fringes of the fringes of the fringes of the fringes of the fringes. How many times do I have to say that? The fringes of the fringes of the fringes. Each time you do that, you're on the fringe of a fringe. So even though we might not have a big audience, I think we have achieved something here. It's a unique art form. I know everything I'm talking about today, it sort of feels like the Overnightscape Underground is an example of something that has somewhat succeeded in being a thing that I'm saying is rather rare. A group station, an alternative to corporate media, yada, 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 e yada. I remember when I worked at that uh, dot-com marketing agency, there was a big e yada poster across the street that we could see from the offices. <laughs> That's how big e was. But yeah, with all these things I'm talking about, maybe that we do represent, in whatever ultra-fringe way, a success in a sea of failures regarding these matters. I guess... Uh, You know, it's good. Good. Very happy to uh, be a part of this whole thing. What the hell? What am I talking about? Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, Anyway, with that, I want to say thank you for patching in to this episode of The Overnightscape. I'm your host, Frank Edward Nora, here in Nutley, New Jersey in January 2023 oh by the way I do, uh, I set up an exit ramp for this uh, Sunday January 15th 2023 if you did not receive an invite you always can uh, request one from me on the Facebook page on that chat room or directly at Frank at the email address if you want to if you want to patch into the exit ramp it's our group show we do on zoom. Uh, please do. The more the merrier. But yeah, we're here in the Overnight Escape Underground, a radio station inside a book. And uh, just go to onsug.com, O-N-S-U-G.com, which is short for the Overnight escape Underground. And by the way, you could also go to the I still have that; <laughs> I still have that web address, which is forwards to onsug.com. It's a lot of letters to type, though, the Overnightscape Escape Underground. It's a lot of letters to type. That's why That was the origin of OnSug. So it would be easier to type in the web address, you know? Yeah, just go there, and as I was talking about earlier, you can find all the latest shows, download the copy of the book. Now that I fixed the file, the original print book, or the current edition, which includes the rules to Flea Devil Solitaire, I would love to hear about someone else, even one other person playing Flea Devil. The rules are there, and and you can always contact me for clarifications if you need it. Telling you, Flea Devil is some kind of game, man. It's, it really, I love it. Even if I'm the only person playing it, it's so it's like I said, it's kind of cool that there's this amazing game that I'm the only one playing in the entire world. Hopefully, soon other people will be playing it. Yes. Um. Yeah, and of course, as I mentioned, Overnightscape Central doing the Beatles topic. Uh, please participate. We'd love to hear hear your voice on the Overnightscape Central. And, uh, you know, what, what makes the Overnightscape Underground different? We uh, are completely non commercial, right? We have uh, over 13,000 hours of uh, audio in our archive. And we have a unique style. And we're very interested in people listening in both the near and far future. And we are, our goal is to preserve everything. And it's all going to be in the form of a book, right? the book is the object, is the station. It's all one thing, right? That's the idea. It's going to be the vessel by which we carry forward all this audio into the future. And some of you may be hearing this. You may have a copy of, a future copy of the book where all the audio is embedded in there, which seems, seems like we're very close to being able to do. It is doable with today's technology, but I think... It'll obviously be a little easier with more advanced technology to right, have all the audio stored as digital files physically inside the book and have a, a speaker for audio inside the book somewhere. That's my goal, um, to have that actually happen. So maybe you have a copy of the book and you're listening to this from the book. Thanks for listening. Whatever future time you're in. Remember, whatever time you're in, you're part of like sort of a chain of chain of custody in a way. Um, it may be 2,000 years from now, which would be the year 4,023. But remember, there's also people listening in the year 8,000, 4,000 years beyond even you, and you're so far in the future. Whatever you can do to help, to help preserve this uh, project, the book, the files, the whole thing, in your time and place, please help preserve it, right? Because this is meant to be carried forward to all future people. (laughs) Yes. Please help. Help! Help. I need someone help. The Beatles topic. Yes, remember the Beatles topic. When I was younger, so much younger than today, I never needed anybody's help in any way. But now it's time to go into an audio world. It is a place that you will hear lots of songs. And lots of audio. It's the other side.
3: You ever wondered what after a, a show with like Motorhead or some really Alice Cooper, some some really loud, raunchy rock and roll band? I mean, what do they do after? Days on much. With temperatures of close to one hundred degrees here in Toronto, it's hard to do anything but just sit there and they perhaps sit around with your friends, get a cold pitcher of lemonade or cranberry juice and chat so we were chatting last night over a nice cold salad and a friend of mine had made the salad and I was saying what a wonderful salad this is particularly the cucumber so my girlfriend said well perhaps it's because I cut the end off the cucumber an inch before the end of it and then I rub it together with the other end of it you're saying yes as well Miss Walsh come here for a sec That's very interesting. You do that as well. It gets rid of the bitter taste. That's what they say. Wait, come back. I have to ask you something. Why? I don't know. It's just one of those things. It's just one of those things, huh? Well, let me tell you another little story that's attached to this. We started to discuss these sort of homegrown ideas about making food taste better and plants and that kind of thing. And she was telling me the story about her mom Whenever her mom would cut a, uh, make a pot roast she would take the roast and then the last tip of it, she would always slice it off and then she would cook it separately another day, almost like a little bit of a steak and the family would eat the pot roast. So one day my friend said, Mom, why do you do that? She said, I don't know, because Grandma told me to. So they checked with Grandma and Grandma said that her mom taught her to do that and they found out it was because the great-grandmother's pot wasn't big enough for a whole roast. So she used to cut off the end, and the, the daughter just learned to cut it off. So there you learn how tradition starts in families. True story. If you have anything interesting like that in your family, some sort of weird-ism or something like that, some weird family tradition, why don't you fax us now? It's 416-591-MUCH is our fax number. And it's a Saturday, and it's hot as heck. So fax us in. I think it'd be really interesting to find out what kind of weird things your family does to make the world a better and more interesting place. Uh, this is A Pursuit of Happiness, but first of all, some cartoons from Rod Stewart on MUCH. Yeah.
4: Special kind of guy to push them big old 18 wheelers down the highway. But they're a tough breed, them dudes. They make a 900 mile run in a blizzard look like a trip to church. Hi, this is Jerry Reed. We just finished shooting a motion picture about some of these good old boys. And before we got through with the ride, well, it got wilder than a can of crap. I play Iron Duke Boykin. You can't miss me. I'm the one on the screen with the cab over face whoa whoa what's that extra 50 dollars what is that that's for a hurry up on a load you take an extra 50 and you stick it up where the sun don't shine and if i wasn't in such a hurry i'd stick around and assist you now peter Palm is my buddy we call him rain he's a lad with wheels in his head and a liking for fancy boots and pretty little helen shaver's pickup she's the one you boys gotta watch Mm-hmm. i told you about that little darling didn't i
1: Sneaking around
4: outside. Now, Peter and I play a couple of dudes who had a good thing going once, and we kind of get together again. Best I can remember, me and you used to have a good time. You go take one more ride with the old dude. But, the way things are now, a fella get his killed. Well, I try to be kind of a gal you'd love
1: to.
5: Excuse me. You
4: want to dance?
2: No. Wait a minute.
4: Didn't need to go hunting for no trouble. We got engraved invitations. Breaker 1-9, Breaker 1-9. You got down, Iron Duke on a fly from a ten I'm being shot at it. with real bullets. See if you can get on that radio and help me find a bear. A bunch of Bear. Hell, I can use that for oh, Look
3: out. I'll take care of you, Smiths.
4: Guts. When rolling, you so shift over to the Faz Lane brother and sister and see this story of two throttle jockeys who get into it up to their eyeballs and highballing from American International.
5: can do? You, just put it on yeah. you have
0: an okay. erase plug.
4: No, this border, we have seven go, yeah. Where do you <laughs> stick
5: it? Daddy, it's playing.
0: What?
4: Payroll?
5: Let's see, where's the okay. erase plug?
4: Okay.
2: Yeah. <coughs> All
5: right, now let's see. One.
2: All right,
5: say something, Julie. Now happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy
1: birthday
5: dear frankie happy birthday to you and julie too now daddy i now 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 what
1: oh
5: it's playing
3: See the, exactly. umbrella,
2: the cake. Come back over here, Ian. Yeah, you can record happy away from the happy
3: birthday. You like that
5: cake, Frankie? Look at your cake. Thank Thank you. cake. my fingers off. How oh, do you like that? You sit over you with
6: here. Friend. He's gonna you sit You'll say, oh, be saying magic words like ding dong, ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. i I want John to say something. Watch
5: this. <laughs>
1: Frankie's only nine.
5: Okay. Right.
2: Recorder.
1: Is it recorded? It's recording. Happy, birthday. Happy
2: birthday to you. Happy
1: birthday to you. Happy birthday dear Frankie. Happy birthday to you. Oh my
2: God! What a win!
5: What a win! All
2: right, you but like your hammock?
1: Isn't that cute? I want to hear happy
5: birthday song. All right. Have you had enough Frankie? You finish your milk, James? I want more. Oh. Sure. You want another I'm piece? How many of you have? You one. You yeah. Well, you have to have another piece. That is skinny. You not have to work. Uh, don't need getting up. I'm glad I have
4: that piece I'm using him. I have 400 stencils. And she thought, I had Snow White on it. And they have shapes and everything. Frankie, please don't take the thick quarter outside. any on it. The know. Barbarians will break it.
1: Next
4: year they'll have Star Wars figures. You? you got Barbarians
1: here? Yep, we Where? have Barbarians. The barbarians, you
6: the oh. go by names, civilized
0: names, like Jeremy and... To oh, one. The the no. No. oh, the came of the party? No, I'm saying... Oh, wonderful. okay. Consciously or subconsciously, a kid brings a new toy outside. His friends break it. Period. Oh
1: well, I I see. Right. I just told Frankie not to
0: take oh. the paper for that. When are you going oh, oh, Of course it's not. Stay over the weekend. Course. It's not something going to
5: going
0: going to 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 oh. turn.
2: Yeah. All
5: right, testing. One, two, three, testing. Testing. One, two, three, testing. Francis. All right, John, come over here. John, come over here. Talking to the mic.
2: John!
5: Sorry, but he was playing with his balloon.
2: <coughs> I
5: just got my Mattel electronic missile attack. Now I'm playing it. I'm up in my room now, and... Uh, I, I said the last message about uh, an hour, half an hour ago, and uh, I got all these toys like a bang, and uh what wonderful, wonderful, this tack- this tape recorder, but, hi, I'm back again, and uh sorry by the, on goodbye. I have to erase oh, so, boy, I'm probably going to forget. By the way, it's my birthday, and, uh, I told you all the toys I got, and, uh, I went to the toy store to get the missile pack, uh, here, 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 here it's it playing. Okay, that's just an example. I have to leave now, because I don't think there's too much tape left. Oh, well, there's a little bit left, and, uh, I was just hearing what I recorded a few minutes ago, and, uh, well, I guess that's about it, but, uh, uh, I don't know what to say, uh, wait a second, I'm probably going to forget to erase this too, bye. Hi again, and, uh, I just went downstairs to, uh, just to let my mother hear, uh, how I was making a fool out of myself with this tape, and, uh, oh, the tape is going rapidly, and, uh, um, maybe you'll want to hear, you're going playing back here again. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good one. Yeah, All right, there we go. I'm pretty good at this, you know. Oh, baby, this is cool, look. Wow, this is too low, isn't it? Ah, oh, there we go, it's off now, and uh, goodbye, because I don't think there's any tape left, so, uh, until the next tape, goodbye. What am I saying? Uh, there's tape left, but not too much, so, uh, tell you a few final things, I'm, uh, going to be ten years old tomorrow, but I'm doing it today, because my sister's birthday is on the first, so, um, there's all the things i that got, and uh, my name is Frank Nora, Frank Edward Nora, that is, and, uh, Hmm. It looks like the tape is almost over. I'm gonna listen to it, the whole thing after this and, uh, one more listen to the game. There, that's about it, I guess. Bye. Sorry, um, sorry for uh, leaving you like that, and, uh, now I'm gonna go back and listen to this whole thing. Bye. know uh, there's almost no tape left. It's October 2nd, and I did forget to erase something there, and now I'm seeing the treasure of Malakumbe on Walt Disney. Now, the tape that's left, let's hear a with a football court.
1: Well, if you would like to know the Jimmy the Greek, the Jimmy the Greek, I'm saying.
5: The at the Cardinals are actually going to beat the Redskins, but the Reds, but but the Redskins absolutely be upset the Cardinals by a score of twenty four to fourteen. And why f- I didn't tell my brother, I only showed him the back of my little score paper of a picture. Of-
1: Ya está listo A pesar del humo y el alcohol Y del tiempo que se fue sin reloj
6: and gentlemen, boys and girls, Disneyland has now concluded its normal operating day.
1: Yeah, folks, and me and my pals hope you had a swell time. Oh. Yeah. 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 Uh, Minnie? huh It's that time. Huh, what time is that, Minnie? Oh, <laughs> Goofy? What? Huh? Oh. Now, now it's
6: time, time to say goodnight. night. night. To all our company Oh,
1: no, not that, Todd M-I-C
6: See
1: you real soon That's Mickey Mouse K E Y why? Why? Because Because we we like you you. M-O-U-S-E
6: Your shopping convenience this evening, Main Street will remain open for an additional half hour. Ladies and gentlemen, Disneyland has now ended its normal operating day. We hope you've enjoyed your visit to the Magic Kingdom and that you'll be back with us again soon. Drive carefully on your way home. Good night. This is the parking lot tram only. This tram goes to all sections of the parking lot, except the Bambi and Donald sections. We do not go to the Disneyland Hotel, the RTD, or Orange County bus stops. To reach the hotel or the bus stops, please board the special tram that loads directly across from the main entrance at the hotel tram loading sign. As the tram approaches, please stand within the white railings behind the yellow safety zone. Watch for small children, and do not approach the tram until it has come to a complete stop. Thank you, and we hope you'll be back to visit us again soon. Forces and their demon hordes.
1: Oh, this is the end of ends.
6: The classic battle to save all that is good.
4: Don't hurt us.
6: The Return of the King. Our feature will begin after these messages.
3: Camp Chipmunk can't open till we clean these tough, rusting toilets. Here's the vanish. Thanks, but I've got something better. Santa Flush? Even better than both. New Improved Santa Flush.
6: Compared to Vanish, New Improved Santa Flush has 30% more cleaning ingredients, plus a powerful rust dissolver Vanish doesn't have to clean better. Santa Flush also kills odor-causing germs by the millions.
3: Now that's one clean toilet.
6: For tough stains, New Improved Santa Flush cleans better than Vanish. In 1975, he became Hollywood's biggest star. (laughs) 1978, just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, he resurfaced. This summer, for the first time, the terror of Jaws will not stop at the edge of the screen. The all-new Jaws 3D, rated BG, starts Friday at a theater near you.
4: Of yourself give a hallmark card at some hamburger places when you drive through and order special toppings hi right, i'll have a hamburger no pickle no mustard extra onion they make you park it and wait at wendy's no matter how special you want your hamburger you'll pick it up immediately without ever having to park it You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people.
6: And now, the return of the king.
4: beginning of